You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Changing Reality. My name is Harsha, aka DJ Harsh, and thank you for tuning in once again. We're really excited to have you for today's amazing, amazing episode. So for all of you who don't know or may be new to the show, Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are changing their own reality. And we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, to even artists, musicians, top executives, um, individuals who run the world through startups and different businesses, and inspiring individuals from all across the globe. And a couple who are here on the Penn campus too. So we get to hear their inspiring stories on how they change their reality while taking little steps in their day-to-day life, while doing what they love doing, while playing their roles well as well. So I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like there are a lot of people like this out there who do phenomenal things and make lives better, who make waves and changes in the industries that they're in. And I'm just super passionate about learning how these people have the power to change the world. And by sharing these stories with all of you, I hope that you guys are inspired too to find out what you love doing, to start that journey of how you can make a little difference um, through the skills and passions that you may already have. Personally, I founded a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, where I'm from, that collaborates with our Malaysian Ministry of Education to help provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. We work with students from elementary to high school through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them, and start their own careers while they're in school to make meaningful impact. And to date, we've worked with over 10,000 students in 900 communities and have incubated countless number of student-run projects, social initiatives, and social enterprises run by students and teenagers aged 8 to 20 years old. And I hope that in that small way, we can reach out to other youngsters who want to change their reality. And through shows like these, through this amazing radio show we have here on WQHS Radio, those stories can also reach out to all of you so that you guys too can change your reality. So if you have any questions about the show or what we do, do drop it in the chat below and I will take it um, either in this episode or the next. So the last year has been tough on many of us. With the global pandemic, lockdowns across almost every nation, losses and closures among all industries and fields of businesses everywhere. Persevering, leading, growing, that's just been things that were more complicated during this last year and a half than it's ever been. And it's not an easy feat. It often requires individuals with a combination of experiences, talent, brilliance, and resilience, as well as the right environment for businesses to ride through the waves of this pandemic. Today, we'll be speaking to one such individual who actually started her journey here in Penn. And we'll be uncovering more about the experiences and stories that she has um, that has made her into the amazing person she is today. And who today, with her organization, manages the stakeholders, her team, her clients, everyone super well to make sure that they still get the best service. They still um, have someone in their corner during this pandemic. So without further ado, let's welcome Connie Siren, the VP of Merchandising at Zola. Connie, are you here with us? Hi, I'm here. Cool. How are you feeling? Thank you so much for being on the show. 
Thank you so much for having me and for the warm welcome. Um, I'm feeling great. I'm excited to talk about it that I've been able to change my reality and hope it is very Yep, I think from our previous chats and all, you are someone who is, I would say, like shaped the world around you and and has actually grown so much as a person. And I think it's just so meaningful for at least the students that I've met to actually hear stories from someone as successful as you and to know that, wow, successful people are human too. And like they, they change their reality too. So big shocker for us, but there's definitely a lot to learn. So you actually started um, here at Penn. You studied a bachelor's degree here. So why did you want to go to yeah. Penn? Um, I loved Penn from the moment that I started researching it, visited the campus. It was just so beautiful and different than anything I had ever seen. Um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and um, I had actually never really been to the East Coast before. Um, so there were some things that shocked me, like my first winter in Philly was very cold. <laughs> Warning for me, um, guys. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was just eye-opening. I learned so much. I met so many different people, and um, it just helped me learn so much, not just academics, but it helped me um, grow in the meeting new people, being open-minded, becoming more resilient. Um, and so, yeah, it was wonderful experience. I love it. And were you the kind of person who always knew what you wanted to study, knew what you wanted in life? Like, did you know from the beginning that this whole field of uh, merchandising was like your cup of tea? Or were you lost like the rest of us in a sense? <laughs> I had no idea. Actually, I majored in biology because it was something that I was just genuinely interested in learning. Um, growing up, I didn't have a lot of science and history in my early years. Um, I went to a school that actually didn't offer those subjects until I was in fifth grade. I moved to a more conventional school and um, you know, realized there are so many amazing scientific topics that I had not learned anything about. So I felt this thirst and desire to learn more and more. And so by the time I got to Penn, I just wanted to take as many biology classes as possible. Um, and so, you know, I thought, you know, it, it might make sense to be pre-med. A lot of people in the bio major are pre-med. Um, it seems like a reasonable track. I even... Um, trained and became certified as an EMT on campus, and I was part of the MERT group, um, Medical Emergency Response Team, and um, you know worked with students to train, and we responded to um, you know 911 calls on campus and near campus, along with the um, local uh, EMTs out of Huff. And you know, did kind of all of that. Um, but okay, I I realized that as much as it was an interesting area of study for me, it wasn't what I really wanted to do with my career. I, especially emergency medicine, it takes a special kind of personality, and I don't think I am that personality. Um, and uh, you know, it just so happened that. I had 
taken a lot of my biology courses kind of earlier in my freshman and sophomore year. So by the end of my junior year, I really had a lot of space in my schedule to explore different classes. So, um, you know, I took some more math classes and I took marketing and I took retail. So retail 101, um, it was a class led by a professor named Bill Cody, um, who was at Wharton at the time and also an executive at Urban Outfitters, which is um, corporate office, pretty close to us. Uh, just love the class, really interesting, fascinating, so different from anything and everything that I had ever done in on the biology side of things. I can imagine <laughs> quite a contrast. Yes, and, and in fact, I, you know, I had labs and stuff. I had lab partners, things like that. But I had never actually worked in a group project and worked in a team. And it, that all of that was really new to me. And I just really enjoyed it. So um, he had suggested that I for an internship at Urban Outfitters. I did. I got the job and absolutely fell in love. I didn't even know um, a role like this, career path like this, existed. It's very... Um, analytical on the one hand, um, it's very numbers based. There is an open to buy every single month, which basically is looking at the sales and inventory and receipt flow, and it's very technical. At the same time, it's also quite creative and very aesthetic driven because you're working with an assortment that you want to be compelling to customers, and how do you? shoot these images and how do you convey them online and make it compelling for people who want to shop and really understand customer behavior and their needs. And um, I think I had not realized that there was that type of left brain, right brain career path. And I did not even realize until that moment in myself that I was very left brain, right brain balanced as a person. Um, so I think I um, kind of stumbled upon it. Um, but I also think that the way the Penn College curriculum works, it exposes you to many different types of courses uh, you can take and choose, um, but it opens doors for you. Uh, and I think I'm just really grateful that it happened that way. Okay, that's amazing. And I think like for all of us who are still a little bit confused in our freshman and sophomore year, I guess there's hope for us still. All right, thanks for that. <laughs> Definitely. And, uh, <laughs> and like you mentioned, you, you said it really nicely, like you have this whole balance between the left brain, right brain thing. But at the same time, like when you first started like interning and things like that, how did you know like there was there a specific point that you realized that this is for me? Like, again, it's not, it's, there's so many things going on, so many things that you've got to be aware for. Did you love all of it or was there just one point where you went, this is it, this is the thing that I'm meant to do? You know, there, I think there was one specific aha moment, but I just loved the whole experience so much. And do I love this job because they allow dogs on, uh, you know, on the work campus and it's just kind of like, you know, it's summer for me and it feels very fun like that. And so what I actually did after my summer internship ended, I discussed with the HR team and I asked if there were any opportunities for me to volunteer over time. So I, I had um, classes, I think, three days a week and two days a week I was 
free. And so I took the train and went back to the Urban Outfitters campus and did kind of similar role, not exactly the same as merchandising, but it's very adjacent. It, it was on the sourcing team where I helped with understanding what kind of items does do we need to develop? Does the merchandising team want to develop? And then I helped um, find all the factories and manufacturers, organize all the information on pricing and negotiation and making sure it was kind of tying back to the merchandise business needs. And it's very similar, but different. And by keeping in touch, having a good relationship with, you know, the people that I interned with, I was able to expose myself to new experiences, learn more about it. And by seeing something similar, but knowing, like I felt, at that moment, I like sourcing, but I love merchandising more. Um, it, there, there's just more of like a business um, strategy to the merchandising world that I really love. And so I don't know if some people have an aha moment. <laughs> I didn't, it was a little bit more gradual. Some people do know from a very young age exactly what they want to be and what they want to do. Um, but I didn't, and I was nervous too, just like everyone else is. Uh, but I wasn't afraid to give me a try, even with the EMT thing. I didn't know where that would lead. I tried it. I spent many hours on the weekends, my weekends to train, be certified, volunteer. I was passionate about it. I enjoyed it. It helped me understand that it wasn't for me in the long term. The store thing. Uh, part-time job kind of helped me. That that's a really interesting perspective. So it's it's like many times I feel like we wait for our love at first sight moment with a particular career. Like this, like I don't know. And as you said, it works for some people. Like I've got a sister who knew she wanted to do music since she was four, and she actually became an international musician. So great for her. But like. <laughs> Like, like me, it's like, I, I never was really sure. And then here you are, you're saying that there could be something that you're passionate about and that may not be like the career you want. What's important is to kind of like put in the hours and see like, is it still the same or do you still love it after the rose colored glasses are off? And you actually did that with like um, going back after your internship, having that part-time job. So I'm guessing like your life was set after that. You knew this was the career you had, I think your, for your next job at this big retailers and did that actually like pan out the way you want? Was it like all sunshine and roses or like, did you see any hurdles in that as well? Oh, well, there's always hurdles in life. And I graduated in 2008, which was right around the time of the housing market bubble burst and market crash. And so that was a really scary time because I, a lot of us had never really experienced anything like in the economy or, you know, in our kind of more adult lives. And, um, you know, I was just so grateful to have it. So I landed a um, an opportunity at Bloomingdale's and I joined the executive training program and it's kind of like a very prestigious, uh, great first job to have out of, right out of college. And so Super, super happy, um, grateful to have a job. The economy is 
crashing and, you know, what is going to happen? Nobody. Uh, but, you know, actually what ended up happening was that I didn't do well, which surprised me because I am a really good student and I've always done well at things that I, I put my heart into. Um, and so for a while, I just thought, okay, I'll work even harder. Uh, push myself just through sheer brute force. I will succeed. Um, and it was exhausting. In fact, there nothing I did to work. I uh, was written for poor performance, and that was devastating. I thought, oh no, this is the career that I want. I chose. I walked away from emergency medicine. Um, you know, it, it just broke my heart. Um, you know, I cried many times, tried to work even harder, and you know, that wasn't the solution. And it took me a few years to actually realize what happened here, but I ended up leaving Bloomingdale's and going to a totally different company called home, which is family-owned, very high and luxury company, um, and I was an assistant partner there, um, and it was the total opposite of a factory. The family-owned, it was not as rigorous uh, in terms of the technical skills, but very, very creative um, and beautiful and aesthetically driven. Um, and it was through having these two different experiences that I realized I have much more of an entrepreneurial mindset and I thrive and succeed in a place that is different and has to be specific to me and my needs. Those needs were not a match. Or even really my second job. <laughs> but every the failure or experience has something where you can learn from it. Um, and so, you know, from my first job, I learned all the hard skills, technical skills, even though the personality fit was the match that we brought. In my first job, I learned a lot about the entire other side. Um, so, like the other half of my brain, all about beauty and aesthetics. Um, from there, I went on to work at a company called Film. It's a furniture company um, in Decor. And, you know, there I learned a lot of new skills, um, vertical development. Um, and now I'm at Zola. And at the company for five years now, I the senior manager and worked way up to vice president of merchandising. And, you know, I've gotten promotions before, but the rate at which I was able to grow and learn and thrive um, was kind of at a bit quicker of a pace. So In five years, yeah, you really... <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, all of that is because I did some soul searching, understood the type of environment I thrive in, and I looked for that. I found a company culture um, that 
is a bit more nimble, less bureaucratic. Um, I found a mentor in my manager who, um, you know, I'm lucky enough that she cared deeply about my development. She um, helped me understand my role, helped me thrive in it, and then helped expose me to opportunities that were even outside of my job description um, that gave me just perspective, even her perspective as the president of the company. Um, and almost like I could be her shadow at times and help her with things. And because in the company, when it was so small, about 50 people at the time, um, you know, it, it was not unusual for people to do things like job description. And I was more than happy to willing to take the things on to volunteer for it. And so she saw that. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have someone who helps nurture curiosity. I, I have so many questions, I don't even know where to begin, but I think I'll begin at, no, 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 I'm just saying you, you are a very inspiring person. I can't, like, I can't pick where, like, what I should ask you first. It's like, if you have a, if you have dinner with your, like, you know, they always say if you can have dinner with one historical figure, I always thought that was too much pressure. How could I fit, like, all my questions in one um, dinner? But anyway, I'll try in this one hour. And um, <laughs> you mentioned so many things that I think are very important. And the one thing that I thought I we could just, like, pick on first was, the fact that you mentioned that you found this company culture that thrived and it worked with you. And I, I'm a firm believer that different people just gel with different ways of um, that things are being done. You're running a company. And um, you went from someone who in your first job was written up to in your recent career was promoted so fast in five years. So how much of that was you having learned from your experiences and changed as a person and how much of that was company culture are both important or is one more important than the other i think both are so important i did a lot of soul searching and for many years i doubted my capabilities um, i thought maybe i'm not as smart as i thought i was or you know i speak smart maybe in dallas where i grew up but here in you know, it's Philly and New York, it's totally different. Like there's a whole different caliber of people. Um, and it did take years for me to reflect on myself and build on my self-confidence. Uh, and I think, you know, the title of the show, Changing Reality, that really resonates with me because there is no one reality really, I guess. I mean, I could be both not smart and smart, depending on how you think about it, how you look at it. And um, I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be smart. And yes, that takes some technical skills. Of course, it takes work, studying, trying, um, you know, all of that. But it also, I had kind of an internal drive and curiosity. And I made sure that I nurtured those things within me. I didn't let the fire burn out. I didn't let one failure um, be the end of it. Like I was hungry and I wanted it. And I saw those qualities reflected in the executive team at Zola when I applied. And so, you know, Zola is a vetting company using technology to reinvent wedding plans and wedding But even aside from the top weddings, um, I think it really resonated with me that it's a really stage startup 
and that it was female founded and has a very um, you know high number of leaders in the executive team. And I saw that same kind of hum human um, self-doubt and questioning, but fire and drive on it. And I thought, like, oh, I want to surround myself with role models like that. Um, and that meant something to me. And it's not to the next person. They may need something completely different that um, it resonated so much. I was so excited about it and so inspired by it. And um, I guess it, it shows reflected because it kept me excited about my job, excited about learning and growing. Um, and I just felt everything was, I just had this um, ability to feed my curiosity. It wasn't just like, here's your job, do the one thing. Uh, if I had a question about, you know, I saw executives fundraising, I, you know, at the manager level who has nothing to do with that. I ask questions about it. I support um, executives when I saw that busy, if they hand, I, I was willing to do anything, um, kind of get in on it and support them and just even hear them in between meetings and sessions. I learned from it. Um, and so I think that did benefit and help me. Very cool. And you also mentioned um, that you went very quickly from senior buyer to VP of merchandising. Other than this amazing environment, the amazing people there and things like that, what changed in you that enabled you to grow so fast? Or what specific skills did you have? Like, were you the kind, like you mentioned also, you're the kind of person who didn't mind doing things outside of your job. Did that help? Was it your natural drive and curiosity? Is it something innate or can it be fostered? So do we have hope? That's what I'm trying to ask in a sense. <laughs> yeah, there is definitely hope because even today, my technical skills probably are not A+. Um, there are things or parts of my job that I think I should do better and I try really hard. It's not quite at the caliber that I think it should be. I'm sure everyone has thought that. Like my um, Excel skills, I think they're pretty good, but could they be better? Yes, definitely. Um, and you know, I didn't let that, I wasn't embarrassed about that. In fact, I was quite open with my manager about it and asked for coaching opportunities because I knew things like that could hold me back. Um, but I I didn't want to be so shy and embarrassed about it that it would be a secret ever. <laughs> oh no, no know about my Excel skills. Like that that's the red book, guys. <laughs> but you know, even aside from the hard skills, I think that, you know, learning the soft skills about negotiating as well as managing people and and you know thinking about these people skills um listening to podcasts reading books um having you know coffee chats with different executives and just kind of absorbing as much as i could from them those things are not in anybody's job description uh, but becoming a manager, managing people, managing a team, that skill, actually, at a certain point, I 
stopped doing as much of technical buying and more and more of people management, and no matter what career you're in, you're going to encounter that one day and that switch that you make from being an individual contributor to um, determining the health and success of other people, um, you can have an, a huge impact on them. And since somebody had that huge impact on me, I wanted to play it forward. And so I focused a lot on developing uh, myself as a, a successful manager. And it wasn't all easy. Uh, you know, there were moments where uh, I think half of my um, leads who reported into me resigned. And I thought, is it me? Am I a terrible leader? You know, now I have to fill all of these, backfill all of these roles. It's really hard to juggle everything that's going on on a much smaller bandwidth. Um, but, you know, I took that opportunity to think really long and hard about my team structure, changing it around, maybe optimizing it so that it evolved with changing needs of the business. Um, and thought about different personalities, who succeeds in what environment and how can I set people up for success and how can I really listen to people in terms of what their long-term career goals are and provide that for them while also getting out of them, maximizing you know, their contribution to my team and the company. Um, and being thoughtful about those things um, helped me build a super strong team that I have today um, and you know there were learnings along the way but it was it's more than just myself that I'm building a career for I heard a lot about the people around me um, and in turn what I put into them I get back from them they care a lot about me as a leader they help to support me beyond ways that I ask them to um, and you know it's not technical skills that got me here. My technical skills maybe are a B, B plus, um, but I think that plus people management skills um, help me be more overall. So maybe I'm like an A minus or something when it comes to just like you are the whole picture. Humble. <laughs> Too humble, but like, but I love that way of thinking in a sense that you, if you really like, someone once told me this, that if you can form a team or we can teach someone how to do your job like or or like pass on the knowledge that you have to someone and get them to really grow and foster um it's good because you will naturally grow and you will have the team that can support you as you grow so i think that you did that phenomenally and we should all definitely learn from you but in that topic of leadership you like also it's it's like you naturally progress during like a very fast time and you also mentioned that you in the beginning stages got very good mentorship very good um leadership icons i'd say that you could look up to and that actually took care of your growth how do you take what you learned from them and all of those different managerial styles and how did you kind of like implement that for your team what is like like how do you pay that forward in a sense for all of us aspiring managers or any managers who are watching the show yeah i mean even if you are not a people manager there are others around you who may look to you as a mentor whether you or not and so it's um keep in mind all the time um, at any point in your career um i will say that at first i thought i was a my manager what he did 
to others. Um, and I realized that that work because I don't have her personality and my team members don't have my personality. And so it does matter to really and um, be very transparent and have open lines of communication because, you know, for some people it took a long time to open up to really have that rapport, but I knew it was important to work on and build that relationship. Um, and, you know, some people don't have the aspiration of, I want to get promoted as fast as Some people value learning more. Um, regardless of their job title. Some people value um, teamwork and um, a sense of gratification on a project more than they do a salary. Um, and so really understanding what those triggers are or levers are for people, not people who come into you, but people who are next to you, adjacent to you, above you, unlocking that, um, Having that empathy and understanding and personal relationship with someone, you understand them as a person. You understand what motivates them. It's not like the truth. It's um, more of just like um, the humanity of it all actually brings a lot of value to your own. Uh, okay. So it's not rocket science. It's just really like that connection in a sense. Okay. Very cool. And um, that is very important, especially for, I would say, and I'd like to spend a little time on this, um, this current period of time that we're all facing. We have been in a very weird year and a half. We are all not only, I guess, physically, but a little bit mentally dislocated from wherever we are in a sense. And um, as someone who, I mean, yeah, I'm not at office, but sometimes I feel like my brain is somewhere else completely. And mm -hmm. as is in a managerial role and especially in the business of weddings like yes a lot of people have had their weddings but a lot of them have been postponed or a lot of them mm -hmm. have been scheduled so there is a little bit of chaos in this industry um over the last one and a half years so you have to manage on one side like all levels of your stakeholders you've got your CSU team that you've got to talk to you've got your team that you've got to talk to you've got your clients that you've got to manage and um how do you what is even the first step or that first thought that you have that actually like you'd say enabled you to manage all of these different people at once yes it was i mean i don't think anyone <laughs> expected what in the past year and a half um it's totally shocking i uh went home with my laptop one day thinking i would work from home for a week or two and here I am over a year later, <laughs> home. I miss my colleagues. Um, I miss, uh, you know, the world, being outside together, all of that. And of course, if you happen to be someone planning a wedding, um, that is even more distressing, especially people who have made deposits on a venue or have to uninvite a hundred people because now they're ceremony is um, restricted in terms of the number of people who can gather. It is very distressing. Um, and so dealing both with the, myself, dealing with the company, and then dealing with our customers, our couple, uh, was a lot. Uh, I think what we did was 
we recalibrated as company what our goals are. Everything we had, we were going to achieve that year. Our plans, our financial plans, our roadmap, all the tech work we were going to do, um, even the mix of people we had on the team and who works and what, all had to. And so, as an executive team, we got together and did a lot of testing and debating aligned on a path. So we go on a temporary partial furlough. So um, it was a very tough decision. We had to eliminate roles. That was very, very difficult. Um, but at the end of the day, I am proud that we were able to be aligned on a path forward, have a clear communication to the rest of the company so everyone knew understood their role in supporting that. And, um, you know, we were able to, in just a few weeks, um, build a way for couples to have virtual weddings for free on their Zola website. We built up a lot of new pages on our site that help give couples information about what to do, how to do it, you know, there's a lot of etiquette around the wedding world, like what you're supposed to do and the polite way to do it. No one has ever navigated a pandemic before. <laughs> and so, you know, um, we kind of gather great resources for our couples. We bulk our customer service team, provide as much support as possible. We um, talked on some other projects that we were going through, like build a baby registry. Um, and you know what? It wasn't the time that project had to pause. <laughs> um, we built very quickly in a couple of months for just for general shopping and doesn't have really much wedding and wedding registry. Just a lot of people were stuck at home. And they might not be getting wedding gifts, but they wanted new cookware. They wanted a new sanitizer, coffee maker, blender. That elsewhere's industry actually exploded quite rapidly because of the quarantine. And so we pivoted our business model and, um, you know, kind of jumped on that knowing that we still had to make money, we still had to make our plan for the year. Um, you know, we're a startup, we're not profitable yet. Um, we are venture capital back, um, but we can't just work for back. We still have to try and move towards a path ability and so all of that happened on the business side. At the same time, there's the whole employee. Everybody is going through what I'm personally going through, just the roller coaster of emotions. And so we set up a specific task force made up of employees and executives that really pinpointed what is going on, what do we need to do. Um, out of that came stipends for people so that they could set up their home office, pay for that high-speed Wi-Fi, get the right equipment to do their jobs. We also had fun came out of it, like um, the, the weekly trivia, totally employee run, um, where almost everyone in the company opted in and participated. Um, a book club came out of it, um, just a bunch of fun things to really make sure we maintained our culture in the company, so it was despite the depressing stuff going on in the world, we could all still look up for happy places for the system 
and pivot our work environment to reflect new needs of people who are, you know, working from home and working Okay. And I see how your role as a leader really, really was like put to the test. Like you did so many things in again a short period of time. You went out there and um, had to look at the product side, at the merchandising side. What can you change? What can you do to like adapt this pandemic? Which again, unforeseen murky waters which you had to navigate. And then you had to take care of your team, the people around you, and great ideas book clubs um like with my team we actually do movie nights like virtually so it's like finding just ways to like connect with people so i think that's brilliant and on the client side um i feel like the pandemic has made us all a little bit more angsty and like i don't know i feel like i reflect this sometimes when i'm like subscribing to services and i see that sometimes um clients act a little bit more reactive as well and i can imagine that you know again the business of weddings that is tenfold because that would your wedding is something that's so personal to you and then now you're being told on a global level you can't even fly somewhere and do it somewhere else in a sense right. like, <laughs> yeah right it's like on a global level like everything's being put on pause and you are kind of like the person that is closest to these couples and things like that so how do you manage to your clients when number one there are so many of them and number two all of them are essentially going through a crisis at the same time like this that takes some special sort of company culture to manage all of this and if so what's your secret well you know i manage the merchandising team so we do more of the assortment strategy and then the customer service team is a bit separate so i had everyone on my merchandising team including myself volunteer and help out with customer service teams um and that meant interacting directly with customers, listening to them, understanding what they were going through, having to say, and it helped us build so much more of an empathy around uh, the reality of what's going on on a personal level. On top of that, we shared out with the entire company um, examples of phone calls, how our CS team was resolving things, Type uh, you know, grouping types of common pain points, complaints, call outs, easing them to everyone in the company, even if they have nothing to do with fixing that, so that everyone knows. Um, somebody on the tech team could have a tech solution to something or automate something, whereas somebody on the marketing team could realize we need to message something better or differently. Um, when on my merchandising team could realize our assortment can now adjust to these COVID trends, these stay-at-home trends, we can action on all of that, even if we're not all individually interacting with couples. And I think having a customer-first mindset in our company really um, helped us achieve that. Like, I'm glad culture how we um, wanted to apply it it wasn't just like oh well they can't have their weddings oh well um it, it was just let's approach this. yeah we had to have empathy about it and and we were able to because we were also really difficult things in our own personal lives too. Um, and so you know the whole world was together at the same time um and so you know i think you know if there's any tricks 
to it or anything like that. But a lot of companies talk about putting their customers first. I think that we walk the walk, uh, you know, not just to talk. And so um, it's hard, it's very hard um, to have kind of a cushy job and then for a day have to interact with customers and resolve it. Um, that is scary, it's setting. Um, it's, you know, sometimes you don't have a solution and you have to remain positive and helpful. Uh, and I think exposing myself and my team to that as much as Okay. And I agree with you. Sometimes it's like you may not have the direct solution. Like I did not come up with the cure for COVID. I'm going to confess that right now. But like, but as you said, there's so many things that I think you guys did right that helped you ease everyone's heartache in a sense. Like especially, I love that thing where you mentioned that you got everyone in the loop because you don't know what information is important to someone or who can solve what problem in a sense or who can predict something that's going to happen. And um, I think that's very like like as we meant, we were talking about company culture environment earlier and. I I think that's very important. I actually read an article about Zola that I think came out just last week about how you guys make decisions and sometimes when it's um I think it was a like they mentioned that it's a very democratic rule there because um you have multiple rounds of voting among like big decisions among like yes, yes. like it's so true. In fact, I did that today. Huh. We okay. had um we had a leadership meeting today to talk about how are we all coming back to the office. Um, and, you know, I think in general, we know that we want to do a, maybe two or three days in the office, maybe two or three days remote at home. Uh, at the same time, we've got multiple offices so New York, Montreal, Charlottesville, Virginia. And then, you know, we've got remote teams all over the world, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, India. Uh, and so, um, you know, being in the office and having that matching together is one thing, but even despite being back in the office, they'll have teams who are remote who need to work together and so there's a lot of complexities to it. And a lot of companies are doing announcing how they're doing it. Some people are back full time, some companies are fully remote, and then everything in between. And so we had um, our chief of staff um, actually did a ton of research and presented an entire deck with the pros and cons put of, I think, a bunch of different scenarios, three, four, five scenarios. Um, we voted at the beginning, and it was so crazy. It was split exactly, almost evenly. And so then people who voted for one made passionate arguments for and against things, and we had a debate, a discussion. We voted again at the end, and we were about 80% aligned on and of mostly what we would do. There's still a lot of details to work out, but that the act of having that debate is what allows people who may not normally have a voice or opinion forces them to participate in that debate. You are going to vote if you're going to your opinion and someone is going to challenge you on it and you're going to defend or your mind might be changed. And, you know, it's not like what is out of that is exactly what has to be done. There's still a little... You know, obviously, the president and CEO have more influence than I do as the VP of merchandising. Um, but it, it, uh, I'm so glad you read that article 
people, um, Rachel Jarrett was the person um, interviewed. She's my manager. She's the one who was this like wonderful um, mentor and teacher to me. And so, yeah, I love that article. No, I, I think it's amazing. I think that that her decision to make this, like, as I said, I think democratic nations can learn from your company culture. And I feel like there's so much that all of us can take away when we're forming our own cultures and things like that. So let's, like, honestly, like, having this 50-50 split, having that debate, having that outcome that completely changes, is this something that you feel is worth the time? Do you think that this is important because it gets more inclusive votes and things like that? Because the biggest question that people have is, like, especially leaders, is that do people know what they're talking about? So is that important? So is it important to get people's, everyone's view in it? And does that actually translate into better business policies? Or like even in the merchandising team, do you get better ideas from just hearing everyone out? Absolutely. People come with very different perspectives. Um, and that is because people have very different teams. Um, one person who I was debating with today, who I have the highest level of respect for, but we have totally two different perspectives because half of her team is already remote, whereas most of my team is in New York. And different policies impact our team, our ability to retain talent, our ability to work together and find that spark and that magic together in person. Um, you know, we just have different perspectives because of the way our teams are made up. And so, um, you know, that applies in all sorts of different ways. I have different perspectives leading the merchandising team, but the um, finance lead, I have a totally opposing view for the legal head might say, all of you are wrong. Here's what has to be done. Um, but we actually find it very um, invigorating to have these debates because we educate each other. We learn from each other. Um, alone, none of us are well equipped to make the decision. None of us have enough information. Um, and it's a very uh, welcoming environment. So no finger pointing. Well, you voted on this and you were wrong and look at what you did. People are more, people tend to more blame themselves. Like, you know what? I voted the other way on this. Now I see the error of my ways. I'd like to learn from this next time. And so it is not scary to have a debate. It's actually interesting and provoking. And in the end, most of us can kind of maybe 85, 90% align around and I think the whole thing and move forward. Okay. And I think that that's just a reflection of all of the amazing women who probably run this team. Because I'm just saying that um, you guys are mostly female-led, which um, I guess maybe hopefully, I guess that means you're a little bit more emotionally mature. I don't know. But for some reason, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, sorry, guys. But anyway, like... <laughs> I, I just feel like it's it's really lovely to hear that and this may not work in all organizations because maybe the leadership doesn't embody it as much as you guys do. So as a VP there, hats off to you and to your lovely team, to Rachel Jarrett. I think you guys are doing an amazing job in forming that company culture. So to just end off a couple of questions on what, um, let's start with someone in a company or someone in a space where they feel like they're not in a conducive environment. 
what do we do? Like, do we pack our bags and run away? Do we stay and fight? Do we do a little bit of both? Like, what do we do? Oh, good question. I mean, I've done both where I stay and fight, fight, fight. Um, and I've done the other where I say it's not working, I'm out here. Um, I guess it really depends on the situation. I think it's, I love a good fight. I have a lot of energy in me and I'm just willing to try something and to realize that it may not always be about me. Um, there may be other things going on that are impacting why I won't get a promotion or why this other person got picked of me to lead a project. Like, you know, the world does not revolve around you and, or me or anyone. And so, um, you know, it is worth building a rapport with your manager or mentors in the company and trying to see a broader perspective and trying to look at yourself and fix the things that you don't want to admit but need to be fixed. It's worth that because even if you don't get that promotion or whatever in the end, help yourself when that's worth a lot. At the same time, you could be in an environment where it's just not a match in the long run and you've kind of maximized what you can learn and grow from it. Um, and it also gets to a certain point where it really erodes your self-confidence and mental wellness to keep trying at something that's not going to happen. Um, and so I think it takes this and self-awareness and humility to recognize what that point uh, but it took me a few years to figure out what that point is. Um, and no one ever really knows. It's not clear at the day. Um, but it is a really good question that you ask. And I think a lot of people will face that at some point in their career. Okay, well, thank you. And I guess that is something that you can only answer from experience. And I'm glad I asked because I think that's good advice for all of us. So on the flip side, if we're the person in charge of creating a company culture, if we're the person in charge of managing a team, how do we instill the right environment? How do we know that we're doing the right thing, that we're creating the right culture in a sense? Where do we even begin in creating that culture just to end off our session for today? Yes, that's an excellent question. And I don't know if I have the right answer, but I will tell you um, what Zola does that I really love. Every year, there is a culture survey where um, survey goes out completely anonymous so that people feel comfortable being honest, asking about words you would use to describe people. Um, and just three form words, and that forms a word cloud. Then you start to see the main type of things that people are saying. Um, and you'll notice the main type of words that you might have had in your mind, but you're not seeing form in the word cloud. And so that's you know one, one way to start seeing things. In in this um, in this survey, we also ask about various things that we have questions about as a leadership team so that we can dig into it a bit more and understand more. Um, 
So an example of that is that we have an unlimited vacation policy, um, but found that people weren't actually taking, people were taking like a vacation than if we had a policy because they're nervous about how much to take, they're not sure. They maybe didn't have another job before, they literally don't know what's appropriate. Um, and maybe they don't see their manager doing it, and so they don't think they're supposed to do it. And so it up a few things for us that helped us. We still have this unlimited vacation policy, but we have more clear ground rules about it. And we have um, ways, different ways of communicating it to, to solve for some of those things because it's a perk about working at the and we want to go and use. Um, it also helped build the culture pillars and it. And so there's a clear mission statement about the culture clear examples of what it is, um, you know, culture in terms of being collaborative, being inclusive, um, being data-driven, uh, and uh, then there are examples of things that fit into that culture. So you saying, hey, that's not my job, ask something else, or gossiping, or blaming others. And so we revisit that every year, make sure that people feel it is continuing to perpetuate throughout the company and also when we hire we make sure that people are raising the bar on those culture pillars um, so that we because as companies get bigger that's when um, that's when culture starts to dilute a little and you know we want to make sure that we only continue to strengthen as we have so that is an excellent question I don't know what that was the the no. right answer, but yeah. I mean, if you gave me a one word answer on building culture, which is literally the most complex thing that is, I'd be a bit confused, but I think you answered it covering a lot of faces. And um, for people like me who have a little startup or starting things out, it's a great answer. It's a great model to actually start off with. And also a great note to end our session with. So Thank you so much. You've been a joy to talk to. And I feel like in terms of building an environment, building a culture, there's still so much that we can learn from you that um, I look forward to finding out more in the future. And to all of our listeners and to all of our audience, I think they're mind blown as well. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. All right. And with that, I think we're going to end our session for changing reality today. And I think today's session really gives you some solid tips on how you can start changing that reality, starting with your environment, starting with your culture, starting with where you are in this journey. And we've been interviewing the amazing Connie, who is the VP of um, merchandising at Zola. Please do support them. Please do support their merchandising team now that you know that someone amazing like this is behind the scenes. And with that, I think our episode is being drawn to a close. We'll see you guys next week on WQHS Radio um, live Thursday nights um, at 10 p.m. EST and wherever that is at your time zone. See you guys next week. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.